0: The following audio is from Life Center Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, if you are new, my name is Kylem, uh, one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, we have been going through the book of Daniel uh, for a number of weeks. We're going to continue to go through it all. And we have just been learning so much about the story. Um, and there's a lot in today. Um, essentially, if you don't know the story, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And he came and he conquered the people of Judah and he has basically taken them into exile and they have been in exile for a number of years. In fact, by the time we get to this, they've nearly been in exile for, for 70 years. So it's kind of moving quite quickly and that's often how narrative works. Narrative moves pretty quickly between different timelines. So the way we finished last week and now we get to here, 25 years have essentially passed. So there's a new king on the throne, Nebuchadnezzar is gone, and now Daniel is an, is an older man in uh, exile. Now, for some of you, this may be interesting, uh, for some of you, this may not be interesting, but we do need to do something here before we actually get into the text, because when I was not a Christian and I was exploring faith, Belshazzar was one of the names and one of the reasons given why you cannot trust the Scriptures. The reason being is that nobody could find anything in history relating to this particular man being on a throne. The only evidence for him was in the Hebrew scriptures. And so often what happens is people go, well, that seems to be a made up story and it's historically inaccurate. We can find ancient ruins that tell us about this, ancient ruins that tell us about this, but there's nothing to tell us about this guy named Belshazzar. And as is always the case with the Bible, that's just until a certain point in time where somebody digs up some ruins and finds some more inscriptions that give us more information. And so when I was reading certain books which were telling me don't trust the scriptures because of these reasons, one of them actually was because this guy is a made-up guy. However, what we know throughout history is that in the 1850s, a gentleman basically took on an entire uh, excavating uh, deal. Uh, his name was, if I can find it in my writing here, his name was John George Taylor. And in the 1850s, he was an archaeologist, an emissary of the Brisbane Museum. They excavated the land of Ur near Babylon. And what they found was this ziggurat. Okay, I'm going to put up a picture for you. Okay, a ziggurat essentially was um, the Babylonian form of, I guess, a pyramid, This is how they built stuff. So in the British Museum, the picture on your right there is what they think King Nebuchadnezzar's ziggurat would have looked like. That would have been something. So they kind of have it. It's almost like a leaning tower of pizza. I always say pizza. I don't know why I do that. It's just fun, right? Um, And it was like this picture that would grow, grow, grow. So when they did this excavation, they found something. And right in the corners of this excavation, they found four cylinders that they believe had never been touched, had never been read and ever used before. So it was the first time that they ever found them in 1850. And as they built, uh, dug this up, they found these and then they got experts to read them, to, to tell the history of the Babylonian Empire. And so these were written 2,300 years before. And this is what David Helms says about what was written on these. He says, from what we now know by deciphering them, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, embedded them after making repairs on the site. And from the historical record outside the Bible, we know that Nabonidus was fourth in line after Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, So by the time you get to chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has died, but so have three others have been taken. So there's been multiple kings in line. And we know that... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was fourth in the line after Nebuchadnezzar, following, and it kind of gives the names of these guys. And then these cylinders that they found also speak of another ruler in Babylon named Belshazzar, son of Nebuchadnezzar. And so from the inscription we learn that Belshazzar had given charge, had been given charge over Babylon while his father Nebuchadnezzar made a trip to a distant place. Until the cylinders were discovered, we had no historical knowledge of this. In fact, up until then, the name Belshazzar only existed in the writings of Daniel. Historians had never been able to account for his existence, let alone understand how anyone other than Nabonidus could have been viewed as the ruler of Babylon at the time of its fall to the Persians. The cylinders reveal how it was that Belshazzar was king in Babylon for the events of Daniel chapter 5. So, for a few thousand years, everyone was like, this dude didn't exist, another example why the Hebrew Bible cannot be trusted. And then, 1850, another excavation, find some more things, which then again prove the biblical record is continually true. It never gives bad history, while it's not primarily trying to be a historical book. It never gives bad science, while it's not primarily trying to be a scientific book. And it also helps us to understand, because you would have seen that Belshazzar basically says you can have the purple, you can have the gold, and you can be third in the kingdom. You don't see that in ancient texts because what kings do, like you see in the story of Exodus, we don't make you third in the kingdom, we're going to put you second in charge. It's always what happens throughout ancient history. The reason why Belshazzar cannot offer Daniel or his magicians and enchanters and Chaldeans to be second Is because Nabonidus is king. He's just moved away for a period of time. He's put his son, Belshazzar, on the throne for a period of time. And so the highest he can make anyone is third in the kingdom. So over and over and over and over again, This is how I became a Christian because I kept reading it and reading it and reading it and getting like, here's what the the skeptics are saying and then here's what uh, all the kind of Christians and even non-Christians because this is the non-Christian person who found the excavations and found these writings and now they sit in the British Museum. So, big point, trust the scriptures. Every generation is coming at the scriptures, coming at the Bible, trying to point out why you can't trust it. And year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennial after millennia, it keeps standing up. And it will always stand up because it's the only book that has been inspired by the living God. So this is one of the reasons that for me, it was like, oh, here is another one. We could go through the book of Ezekiel. We could go through just the historical record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and, uh, John around Jesus' life, but it keeps stacking up. So I just wanted to throw that in there, and that's free of charge. If you do want to pay me for it, feel free uh, for an extra little fee of, I don't know, well, let's say $4,000, okay? That'd be great. I could do. We're trying to sort out some things at our place. All right, so what we have in this story, I'm only joking for those of you who don't know me. I joke a lot, and they try to ban me from jokes from the front. Um, what we really have here is three scenes. We've got the party, got the party crasher, and then we've got the party message, And so let's look at the party. The party, it tells us, is this great feast. And they are drinking wine. There's thousands of his lords, thousands of the highest in his kingdom that he's bringing along. He's drinking wine in front of them. There are these vessels of gold, of silver, from the Jerusalem temple that he's ordering to be brought in. There are his wives and concubines. And they're drinking eventually out of these golden vessels and they are basically making a toast to the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. So what the author of Daniel wants us to see is that this is an extravagant party. There are thousands of people. I remember um, I threw a party once for my 21st and I'm just going to throw it out there still to this day, no one's ever beaten that party. It's the greatest party of all time. Uh, why are you all laughing? Um, we had 300 or so people at that party. And, and what you know about parties is parties are reflective of the ones throwing the party. So we've had multiple people in this church get married recently. We've got more getting married later on. Uh, what we're going to see is the, the way that those weddings happened actually reflect the couple that are getting married. Okay, so my party reflected me. That's why I swung in from a rope whilst everyone was sitting in the middle of this, this uh, basket, uh it was an indoor cricket centre. I kind of waited till everyone was in and I was wearing the mask outfit, got the band to play a special song, and I swung from the rafters in between everyone and made the grand entrance. Why? Because that party was to show you I'm awesome. And everyone left that party going, No, you're not. But for me, it was reflective. Every party reflects something about the person. This party is reflecting Belshazzar. Look at the fact that he is drinking. Look at the fact that he has wives and concubines. This is the way of the writer saying this is a very sensual party. Look at the loot. He's bringing the spoils. That, that, that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, actually got when he took, uh, took over Jerusalem. He's got the gold, the silver goblets, and they're from the temple. Now, Nebuchadnezzar would have, would have gotten those spoils and put them into his own temple. It's kind of like his pool room. Belshazzar is coming out and saying, hey, we don't want them in the pool room. We're bringing them out into the party because we are going to mock the one whom, whom we rule. And so the writer paints this picture of a king essentially who is trying to lift himself up. He's trying to put himself above all and he has forgotten what happened to his predecessor. Because if you remember at the end of last week, that through the first sort of four chapters, there's these moments where Nebuchadnezzar keeps getting reminded of like, I'm high. And then he has this encounter, he's like, oh, God's pretty big. He kind of did that interpretation thing. And last week when he was brought to his knees, he met the living God and was humbled and then eventually tells the people, this seems to be the God of gods, the king of kings. But Belshazzar is saying, no, he is not. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And so this is an act of absolute defiance. It is a horrendous, prideful, arrogant act. And he is saying, look, I have the God of the Hebrews wrapped around my fingers. I am holding their goblets, their prizes, and we are drinking from their cup. God may have humbled Nebuchadnezzar, but he will not humble me because I have him wrapped in my fingers. Until we get to the party crasher, who is the finger of God, who now enters the scene. And just as the finger of God enters the scene, this one who felt he had a grip over God, knees are shaking. Look at the words, it says, the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. Immediately it says, God comes in, the hand starts writing, and that's what happens to this king, the one who is trying to prop himself up, show the thousand of his nobles, look at how powerful I am, look at how good I am, look at how much I actually rule over all some commentators say that this, this line of the fact that his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together is sometimes used in ancient literature to say that he soiled himself. This man went from in literally minutes drinking the goblet, putting it down and saying, worship me, worship our gods, to being totally undone with blood being drained out of his mortal body why he hasn't even met the living god yet it's just the finger of god such is the power of the living god and if you read the old testament anytime anyone ever meets an angel of the lord or some form of that it's not so joyful immediately They fall down on their face because they have encountered transcendence and they are like, holy crap. Until that angel of the Lord says, fear not because I am with you, get up. This is the power, the sovereignty, the greatness, the majesty, the transcendent one. And so he is desperate again to know the meeting just like his predecessor. And he says, you will be clothed with purple, you will have gold chains around your neck, and you'll be the third in the kingdom. So he comes again, does the exact same thing we see Nebuchadnezzar doing. Come, these are like the high elites of their society, these are the high scientists, these are the, the high educated, come in, and they're like, we cannot do this again, they fail And his fear only continues to grow. Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Verse 9, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So it's now not just him, it's the entire party who are like, what the heck's going on? The one who seemingly held God in his hand has been undone by the hand of God. But the Queen reminds him. She hears what's going on. It seems like she's not in this party for some reason. So the wives, the concubines, but not the Queen. It's a whole lot to be discussed there, anyway. She's not there. She reminds him hey, there's a guy named Daniel. Remember the story? Remember him. Okay? This has happened before. He's filled with wisdom and insight. He's got kind of got this gift from the gods. And what I, love, what I love about this part of the story is, again, we get to see a man who seems to be secure in his identity. Now, Daniel is no longer a teenager. When he came into Nebuchadnezzar's courts, he was most likely late teens, early 20s. Right? Now he's in his 80s. Now, it has been asked of me a number of times since I moved into the 40s decade, a number of people have asked me, like, what is the difference? Like, what is the difference between teenagers, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s? Like, which is your best era? Um, which decade is your best? And and it's essentially what they're saying is, what's the superpower in the 40s compared to the 30s, compared to the 20s, compared to your teens? And so I thought we'd just spend a little bit of time here, okay? So in your teens, right, in your teenage years, your superpower is just stupidity. Okay, now there's a few teens in the room. I do apologize. I'm not trying to offend you, but you think you know everything and you know nothing. And so all you do is like, I'm, I know the whole world, and you think your parents have no idea about anything because they've never lived a life before. Only you've ever lived life. Like in, in your teenage years, we're just dumbass, but filled with pride. In our 20s, I, I think it's probably like our, our superpower is like our zeal and our drive, right? Like you're just pursuing stuff, you're going after stuff. Um, I think like you kind of, this is where you're working at your career, you're working at your relationships, you're filled with zeal, nothing can stop you, you will live forever. I think that's kind of what I was like uh, in my 30s, uh, uh, sorry, my 20s. Uh, 30s, I think it's probably more around stamina. It's like this, this tends to be when people are having like kids and they're kind of like, holy crap. How do we survive? How do we stay alive? How do we stay awake? And you're kind of going. Now in your 40s, this is where your like your superpower is just awesomeness. This is this is the years of that I'm currently in. Anybody in their 40s? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Thank you. All right. It's just awesomeness. Um, no, no, I, I I don't know what the superpower is yet, uh, but we'll get there. Um, but I'm pretty sure the superpower when you are in your 80s is you're probably secure. You've probably got some wisdom because you've probably lived a bit of life to not care about that anymore. Like you're probably not worried about what people think of you. Okay? Like in your teenage years, we're worried about what our peers think of us. When you're 80, you're like, dude, I'm just trying to stay alive. I don't care what you say. I'm just, my goal is to get on that bus from that home and get to Lawn Bowls and win. Okay? I don't know what it is, but you watch, this, you watch this man now in his 70s walk in and he is calm because he is secure in who he is. He knows who he is. He doesn't have to prove anything. I don't know how many times he's been through this scenario, but this is not his first rodeo. So here is this old guy just... Calmly walks in. I feel like he's probably taken a little long to get in there compared to in his like time with, with Nebuchadnezzar. He probably rushed in. This time he's just like, yeah, whatever, man. What is it? But then look at Belshazzar. One of the first things Belshazzar does is he mocks him. Belshazzar wants to remind him, hey, aren't you one of the exiles that like we conquered and you're just a nobody in our kingdom? You're just one of those. I just want to remind you of who you are. And so here is this man who knows who he is and this insecure king who's trying to promote himself and get everybody on board. And he just says to him, are you not one of the exiles? And then he's like, if you do this thing, this is what I'll do for you. I'll elevate your status. I'll give you this royalty. I'll put you in this position. This reminds me of a person named Jesus who had a wilderness experience whereby the enemy tried to tempt him and go, hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. And Jesus is like, hang on, I've just I've just had the Father call out from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I know who I am. You can't tempt me with the things of the world. You can't get me off course. I know who I am. And so this Daniel, this I think model for us shows us the gift it is to be secure in who you are in Christ, to know who you are. Why does he know who he is? Because he trusts the word of God. He doesn't listen to the world. He doesn't listen to his peers. He listens to an audience of one, the one who made him the one who designed him, the one who has allowed him to go into this place and has sent prophet after prophet to remind him, I've got you in that place. I will bring you home. Trust me. You can be secure. And what's important, I think, to see is that we don't just see Daniel being secure in chapter 5. We saw him actually be secure in his 20s. So, young person, I know I've offended you already. However, just <laughs> forgive real quick. What this means is, is you don't have to wait till you're in your 80s to know who you are. You can know that in your teens, like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach, like Abednego, we can know who we are, be secure in who we are, if we know God. Boy, do I want to know God! This is what leads Daniel to be a non-anxious present in a, a presence in a hostile world. He constantly is in these situations where he has his trust firmly in this is what god has said this is what god has said this is what god said and then also he trusts not just in god's word but god's word which tells him that god is sovereign so because he knows the story of the old testament because he knows the history of god with people he knows that god is in control of all things because if god was in control of the exodus which is a massive story for them and God could deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, part Red Seas, walk them through on dry land, look after them and feed them with manna from heaven. He could do all of that. He can look after them in Babylon. If God through the Psalms he sees the stuff and the chronicles and the kings he can see all the stuff that happens with King David and the way that King David is, is kind of getting chased by Saul and, and there's something that God has promised that David would get to this point and there's everything against David he's on the run he doesn't know what's going to happen and he sees time and time again through reading the scriptures that God keeps coming through for his people and he trusts that God is sovereignly good and will look after him so he is secure remember when he met and nebuchadnezzar and nebuchadnezzar was trying to say well you're way better than all of my chaldeans you're better than all my astrologers and magicians and his word back to king nebuchadnezzar in chapter two was i am no good i am not better than anybody the difference between me and them is I know the God of heaven and that God has uniquely placed a grace upon me in this particular time to do this particular task. It's not me. So don't reward me, but also don't kill them because this is about the God of heaven. This is what makes this man so secure in in, in a hostile world. And then even when he is offered the the purple, the gold chain, and the position to be third ruler, he simply says to Belshazzar, give it to somebody else. They probably need it. I I don't need that. Why? Because I'm secure. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I belong to God. and, And God will work out what he's going to do with me. Um This is really important for when we go through tough times, right? It's really easy to live the Christian life when everything is going well. So easy. It's when we are getting pressure from culture. It's when we are losing jobs. It's when we have financial pressure, relational pressure, social pressure. That's when we start to question, can we trust our sovereign God that what he says is true? And I want to encourage you, church, you've got to keep reading the book. Just read it and read it and read it and read it and read it because the Bible says that those were God's people. You and I are now God's people. Therefore, their story is our story. Because I see what God has done 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 100 years ago, 20 minutes ago, I can trust And this is why it's also important that we share our stories. We need to hear your story where God has done great things for you and through you because it encourages us. And then we get to the party message. And this message really is contrasting Belshazzar with King Nebuchadnezzar because remember, Nebuchadnezzar was in the same position. We saw this last week. We saw it when our kids did the takeover and we had all sorts of animals crawling around there and there was all sorts of kids doing, what do you call it? The worm and we had all sorts of fun going on. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar was brought to his knees. And this is an opportunity for Belshazzar to do the same and respond in humility. Belshazzar, you're in the exact same position that your father was in. And you know this, he says. You know what happened to him, yet you harden your heart. Why? How? Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some person's hearts to repentance hardens others in their sin. The same gospel, the same grace, the same mercy extended, and sometimes we can respond and harden our hearts, or we can soften and be reminded of how good God is. Look at what he says. He says, but when his heart, speaking Nebuchadnezzar, was lifted up so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down. Eventually it says he was fed like grass, like an ox on his body, was wet with dew from heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Can I just can I just say the job that you currently have is not because you got it. It's because God gave it to you. That position that you have where maybe you have you're a line manager or something in a company, it's not just because you worked hard and got there, it's actually by the grace of God that God has positioned you there. If you're an educator, if you're a principal, if you're a bank manager, whatever it might be, there is a sense in which this is not just speaking of kings. This is God in every area is God has placed us there. God has given us the grace to be there. Therefore, whatever we do and however well we do it, we can thank God, we can worship God, we go, wow, thank you for your grace that allows me to do this thing, make this amount of money, have this amount of influence. This is how it works with the sovereignty of God. And eventually, Neb comes to realize, ah, I'm only king of Babylon because God allowed me to be the king of Babylon. But Belshazzar, you, you continue to harden your heart, verse 22, and you, his son, okay, this language of son, it, it, it's talking about predecessor, it's not physiological son, biological son, it's common language in ancient. It's the idea of you're, you're, you're the predecessor, he's your father, you're their son. Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You knew all this, but you think you're the outlier. This happens for everybody else, but it won't happen for you. That's pride. And there's a sense in which every single one of us encounters this moment, right? Where we are all faced with a moment whereby we have to decide whether we will humble ourselves before the Lord or whether we will not. this is just his moment I had my moment I don't know about you but I had many moments where God and his grace continued to give me many 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 moments and eventually I surrendered to him best decision I ever made because now I'm in the kingdom of God and it is imperishable it is untouchable Satan cannot touch me Satan cannot take me Satan has no say on me He can come and fill my head with lies and I can just do the exact same thing that Jesus did and come back to scripture and go, that's what you say. This is what he says. He says, I am forgiven. He says, my past, present, future sins have been wiped clear. He says, I can do this. He says, I'm able to do this. He says that I am much loved despite the past despite how I feel about what's back there, that might describe some things about me. It no longer defines me because the King of heaven made me and He has called me and He has secured me. Therefore, you cannot touch me. Do you see how good this is? This is the gospel. The gospel comes in and so now you are secure. So the, so the culture will come at you. Your, your bosses will come at you. Things might happen in your life and you can, you can feel the weight of that. That's natural. You might have anxiety, but we can bring our anxieties to the Lord and say, God, we, we trust that you have us in the palm of your hands and the safest place to be, as we said this morning, is in the arms of the living God. And Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied to those in exile, and he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, will search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And here he is coming to Belshazzar and saying, I am now testing your heart. And verse 23 tells us what he does. It says, But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. And then from the presence the hand was sent, the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Mene, your days are numbered, bro. You're done. Says it twice. Numbered, numbered. Tekel means weighed. You, you fall short of the standard. And Parson is divided. That, that judgment and destruction await you. And we know from the historians of Herodotus and Xenophon, they testify that that on this particular night when when, when the the Medes and Persians come in and conquer this, it was actually this night, there was this huge grand party. And these walls to get into the Babylonian world, they were massive. They were 25 feet thick and they had two of them. So very, very hard to get through the walls. They're 40 feet high. And so what they actually worked out is while this grand party was going on, while while he's puffing himself up, he's holding on to almost like God and saying, I have you. God's like letting the Persian Medes come in. And what they did was they actually divert the water from Euphrates, which would go under the walls, and they drain it. So that while they're partying, warding's just getting dispersed, dispersed, dispersed. Now they can get under the walls, and within a night, done. Numbered historical record this is how they get in and verse 30 says that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old and just like that a few hours before mocking God God has said you don't mock me you're done well that's scary (laughs) Uh, because i've had moments where i've mocked god i've had moments where i've questioned god i've had moments where i've cried out and said what the heck are you doing i don't trust you at all anyone else done this no just me i love what it said here because he says it's not just that this person is secure Daniel secure, and these guys are not. Look at who they worship. They are worshiping these gods of which they cannot see, which cannot see, cannot hear, cannot know. In other words, you worship a dead idol, but the promise for those who worship the living God is you drink from that well forever and have rivers of living water. And the humility is to say... I'm not worshipping gold, I'm not worshipping career, I'm not worshipping relationships, I'm not worshipping anything of this world, I worship the living God and our rivers of living water and I live and serve a God who does see, who does know, who does speak and has spoken through His Son to say that He has died for me, even though I have done many of these things, and He has offered me His grace, and I have freely able to choose to repent and follow and trust in the good, sovereign King of the universe. And so I no longer, for those of you who are Christians in the room, we we don't have to be found wanting, because we are found in Christ, Amen. We're in him. So we're not found wanting because we, God is looking at us and seeing the account of Jesus Christ on our account. So we're not found wanting anymore. Our days are numbered. Yes, but numbered in his hands and he is bringing us safely home and promises that he will do that for all people. And so for us, death is a transition into an eternity with the king the greatest place we could ever be, the greatest joy we'll ever have, where everything we've ever desired deep within our lives will be fulfilled because we will be with the King of Kings. And we get to participate in this kingdom right now. And it will not be divided. It will not be destroyed. It will be everlasting. And everything that you and I do in this life now has meaning, now has purpose because it is attached to the eternal kingdom of God. So waking up, And looking after those little kids and being sleepless has eternal value. Getting up early and going to work and being a good employee has eternal value, dignity and worth. Everything we do now, because it's a part of the kingdom of God, now has meaning, now has value, now contributes to the kingdom of God. As the band come up, I just want to finish with one of my favorite verses. Because I think it's one thing to say the the positives of this, to say how good it is. But I think it's important to also remind ourselves that we are in Babylon and therefore we will experience anxiety. We will experience times when we are tested and there's pressure on us. But look at what 1 Peter says. This is Peter speaking to exiles in his day. He says this, 1 Peter 5 verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Again, I say this all the time. There are these two things of God. There's the powerful God that can, the personal God that cares, and we have that in Jesus. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, bring it to him trust him that his word is true that he is sovereignly good and he knows what he's doing with that very thing amen amen let's pray god we are so grateful that we have you as our god not a blind god but a god who sees not a deaf god but a god who hears not not a Uh, a dumb God in the sense of being mute but one who communicates talks speaks not a God who doesn't know anything but knows all things and a God that is sovereignly good in whom we can trust your word we can trust your character and your nature and God today we bring our stuff to you we bring our struggles we bring our trials we bring our anxieties to you And we say, help us to trust you. Help us to worship you and no other God. Help us to know whose we are so that we can know who we are and be secure in this world. God, help us to be faithful men and women like Daniel and some of these others that we see in this story. Because we simply understand who you are. Thank you for that in your son's wonderful name. And everybody said, amen. Well, why don't we stand and why don't we sing to our great God.
1: Thank you for listening to this
0: podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge.